Welcome to the podcast about two good friends sharing stories to surprise and delight each other. I'm Courtney Farrell. And I'm Mason New. And this is I Got One For You. Hey, everybody. It's Mason New. And Courtney Farrell. And this is our podcast, We Got One For You. Or I Got One For You. <laughs> but we do got one well, for you. Well, we got one. Yeah. <laughs> that works, too. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And... Um, you know, the highest cultural event of of all time that we collectively go through other every... Than the, other than the Texas State Fair, you may be right. Oh, I've never been to the Texas State Fair. That's Those are those are fighting words. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Virginian who spent a little time in, in, <laughs> in Dallas, Texas. Texas. <laughs> Anyhow, we thought, you know, before we descend into pizza, wings, and beer, and all those healthy things, that we would do something... Um, intellectual salad a little intellectual salad thank you and we would uh we would try to address the question what is beauty so so i've got one for you mason this is this is an interesting day for me because years ago when my children were younger i think they were nine seven and three Mm -hmm. uh, wordy at the the breakfast table said you know it's super bowl sunday why don't we try and get a little culture in before you know this this event happening later on this right. evening, since none of our children at that time even probably knew what football was, I mean, honestly. Got it. So we we had read in the paper that at the University of Richmond there was going to be some classical music being played by this renowned composer, whose name I didn't know then and I do not know today. <laughs> But okay. Sorry, Ray- unknown composer. Of you are amazing. Of, you are amazing. Great, I just don't know your name. Brilliant. So we pack the children up. We drive down to the University of Richmond. I don't know what we were imagining, but we walked into the auditorium, which had all the perfect sound um, structures so that it was that dampened silence mm-hmm. when you walked yep, in. The yep. perfect place for a three-year-old. <laughs> and a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And we had our children dutifully sit down in the chairs. And out walks the composer. And he begins to speak to us about the act of composing. And he spoke oh. for about 40 minutes. Oh, boy. Oh, oh. boy is right. D- three-year-olds love 40-minute love lectures. They do. They love epilogues. <laughs> prologues, not epilogues. Anyway, so this fella talked. And to be fair to him, he did say something fascinating which made the entire very tragic experience worth it so he stood up and he said you know there was there was one person in one event in my life that almost made me not become a composer Hmm. and he said I was a I loved piano I had a piano in my room and I was in my room on the piano and playing some things and my mother walked in and she said I know what you're doing you're not practicing you're just playing around Oh, and he said it was interesting. a profound moment sure. in my life because I had to make this decision. Was I just going to play pieces that mm. other people had written and right. that was what was seen as being serious? Or uh-huh. was I going to make space for myself to see what I could create? Oh, that is so fascinating. It was fascinating. And after that moment of fascination, things went wrong for us as a family. Oh. <laughs> because he actually he sat down to play and he he began to play so softly mm-hmm. one note there are 88 i think he's on a piano he did not play any together it was just one building the tension soft note at a right. time in this piece which was probably wonderful i as the adult <laughs> probably wonderful it could have been 
unfortunately, all I remember, I remember thinking, wow, he's playing really softly. And then I remember my three-year-old standing up and he said, play louder. (laughs) (laughs) Composers love that. They do. They do. The the in-piece critique from the three-year-old. Really important, actually. Heckling at a a composure. Heckling. Okay, so at that point, I don't. I failed to mention that we were the youngest people there. By we, I mean Wordy and I were the youngest people by forty years. And, <laughs> so um, not including the kids yes, with the average yeah, next that had not turned in a decade, <laughs> snapped around as if on a swivel. I quickly scooped up McGill. Wordy grabbed the two children. We went as fast as we could out, didn't even bother with the door slamming behind us. We just wanted to go before our pictures were taken. And we get the children in the car, and I, I realize something's not right, and I feel one of their foreheads, and they have temperatures of 102. So I took oh, no. three children with 102 temperature into here a composer, um, and it, it went fine until it, it didn't. So, But, but it was pre-COVID. So it, it was. And yeah. it, it popped into my head, one, because it was another cultural Super yeah. Bowl moment. And two, as we got in the car, and Morty said, well, that was beautiful. <laughs> Which is my- He answered the question. There it is. There's my very, uh, there's my very uh, small attempt at opening up the door to beauty. Do you think, do you think the composer would agree with that? <laughs> I'm not sure. He probably tells this story, but in a very different way. Very different way. way. I felt like it was good, which gets nothing to beauty, but it gets to a little bit of culture on a Super Bowl Sunday. Well, where where I go then is, you know, you you spend a lot of time talking about creativity. You and I have talked about creativity. We we like to operate in that world, I think. But that story is remarkable in this idea that this this man this this began his life of creativity from a negative from a parameter from a rule or an expectation that he wasn't meeting or that at some point in his life he figured out that that would be a hindrance someone saying right. i see what you're doing and just you know as we all sort of struggle through parenting which is sure. a whole huge topic sure you know you think you're doing the right thing Right, you think you're doing the right thing in creating the structures that you create, and sometimes we might we get it wrong. You know, mm-hmm. luckily for him, he had a he had a self calling, I guess, that sort of had him move through that particular construct. Just kind of interesting. Well, the, this is off the subject, I think, a little bit, but it's related. Last night, I, I watched uh, Rocket Man. Yeah. About Elton John. Yeah, Have you I, seen I it? watched it. Yeah, incredible. I, it's a, it's really a, a beautiful movie. It's a, it's artfully done. It tells a very compelling story about more than just Elton John as a bio, as a biography of him. It's really this incredibly universal story about friendship and relationships and creativity and the, the, the burdens that these artists in his case, um, the the burdens of fame and notoriety, but also just the burden of the artistic endeavor itself, which I guess also nearly destroys him, but he survives it. And I, I just, I thought it was so 
it taught me so much just watching this. And I, I'm not a huge Elton John fan for his music. I mean, I like it, I think. But I really, he the complexity of who he was as a creator leads me to this topic about beauty. There's something very mysterious and complex about so it. So when, when I hear, I, I did see that movie, and I, I found it to be profoundly upsetting and sad and beautiful. Right. And it, it, it brings the thought. So you talk about creativity, which has inherently incredible highs and incredible lows. I mean, if you sign up for a life, if you sign up for a creative life, you sign up to create something that is either beautiful or useful or you know, some expression of the soul and spirit, ultimately. Right. You are signing up for incredible highs and incredible lows. The creation process itself has incredible highs and lows. You get a great idea. You're so excited about it. You try and implement it. It, it doesn't come the way you thought. Then you solve for that issue, and you're excited again. Then you have another setback. Then you have to put it out into the world. And it has to be received the way it is received. And that is incredibly vulnerable because if you have used any part of yourself mm -hmm. to actually create, which I would argue in order to create, you you have to put some of yourself into it. Sure. It is a personal endeavor. And so then to put this part of your personalness into the world and have it be judged is another crazy low and high based on how it's received and how you deal with how it's received. So here's here's a question then. When anyone is trying to create something new, whatever it may be, is the primary motivating force to create something beautiful? Gosh, I wish. I wish that were the case. A quick drive down Broad Street tells me no. I mean, mm -hmm. there are so many things that have been put into the world that have been created that are so far from from what my definition of beauty would be. Um, I think there are lots of different motivations for creating. I'll say the number one without any sort of backing for why, but the number one reason is an expression of something you feel inside of yourself. But um, to me, that would be that beauty would be tied up in that expression. If you, I'm not talking about maybe something like, you know, I, I don't know. Well, let's let's talk about what beauty is. Then. Yeah. I think if we define what, if we have some definition of what beauty right. is, because I, when I was in high school, I wrote, I wrote a little poem. I think I was in, oh, I don't know, history class in eleventh grade, and to show you what kind of student I was, I wrote this poem instead of listening, and it was something to the effect of. Gnarly knuckles and a wrinkled up face, long spindly legs to my eyes a disgrace. A beautiful face and a rosy complexion, a nice shaped figure was his perception. Two different views on how to mold her, beauty is in the mm. eyes of the beholder. Mm -hmm. Right? Not a mm -hmm. new concept, but just this, what, what I see is beautiful and what you see is beautiful may or may not be the same thing. And I had a really interesting experience with beauty when we moved to Dallas, Texas. We go from... Virginia. We go from Richmond, Virginia, which we grew up with um, backyards that were not completely kempt. You know, there were not fences. Everyone's yard ran into another yard. Mm -hmm. um, the outside of your house and how it was designed and the colors that you picked and the symmetry that it had belayed its beauty. 
right? So we, we, we had red brick, which is a certain color red that just evoked the, the, the same colors of the soil. And then we moved to Dallas, Texas, and on landing there and driving to find a house, I am not a crier, but I will admit that when we drove around house hunting, I burst into tears because my eyes had never seen uh, such, at that point in time, what I would have described as a lack of beauty, that, mm. that the outside of these homes, the color of the brick, the decisions that were made architecturally were affronting. And it wasn't until living there for three months that my eyes suddenly shifted. It was like looking at one of those Remember in the remember in the '90s those pictures you would stare at them they're magic pictures you'd stare oh, at them yeah. and not see just a weird looking print uh, and then st- stereograms I yeah, think yeah, they are they'd, they'd separate out and you'd see a right. 3D vision 3D, yes that exact thing happened I was walking down the street three months into living in Dallas and suddenly I saw it I understood why it was actually beautiful there they keep their yards pristine their trees are lit by lights because they're so precious that they deserve to be lit up. They're a piece huh. of art. Oh, wow. Whereas here, you don't light your trees. You just have a bunch of them in the backyard. You know, right. you, you just, it. The, the inside of the house is what mattered, not the outside. You weren't, the, the, the environment was so harsh, you weren't going to be on the outside. Mm-hmm. The soil colors were different. But it took time for me to be able to see the beauty that is there. And interestingly, when people would come to visit, I could see in their eyes that all they could see was the ugly. And I would often say, uh. By the way, I don't feel sorry for me. This is this is actually really beautiful. You just can't see it yet. Hmm. Why do you think that happens? I wonder. I, I mean, I mean, are, I mean, there are things that certainly we can look at. Most people can say that is beautiful. The lawn at UVA. I mean, I'm just gonna say that's right, beautiful. It's right. beautiful. It's symmetrical. It's it's grand it's proportion well proportioned sure but they but but what you're describing is something that would be asymmetrical at least to your eyes when you first got there and then all of a sudden you got accustomed to it and then you saw what the beauty was so i think our eyes first see i don't know it's interesting this is a this is a great thing to think about I have noticed as I've gotten older, when I get into a new environment, I see all the things that are different and uncomfortable. It's the first thing I see. It takes me 24 hours, and then I can see what else is there. It's, hmm. it's weird. I, I've, it, it, I don't know if it's come on with age, if I've always done it, but it definitely has gotten more pronounced. So if, is it that we look, f- the, the differences stand out to us, and then we become accustomed to those things, so it no longer... It no longer offends us enough so that we can't see what's actually right. there. And does beauty have to be? And here's a question for you, Mason: Does beauty have to have a counterpart, a running mate? Is part of beauty is that it's partnered with something sort of ugly? That contrasts it, yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I I don't see how you could understand something being beautiful if you didn't understand what something that was ugly i that but but again this is one of the mysteries of of human consciousness how can you know do you learn them simultaneously do you learn one before the other and is beauty learned i mean i think we know that the answer to that and it's i 
I will answer that by thinking by in two ways. Um, first is when I'm not looking for it in my day to day life, I know I am less happy. So, so for example, so this morning, I Melissa says, "Look at all these robins out here in the backyard," and I was, you know, eating breakfast or something. I didn't feel like getting up. I was, you know, my back hurt. I was cranky, whatever. And so finally, I shuffle my tired old body over to the the window and I look out, and I started. So I I saw one robin, and then I saw another. And then I saw another. And then as I kept looking at the yard, they were everywhere. But they were perfectly camouflaged. It was so wild to just be staring at this yard. And it was as if they were appearing by magic. So your question is that that made me very happy to just look out in the yard to see it. And I, you know, had I been sitting there looking at my eggs and coffee and you know just sort of complaining about my belly ache or whatever you know I would have missed that so so that's one thing and so when I when I make a conscious effort to look for it, it makes me much happier um the second way I would answer it and and this is maybe another philosophical question but I, you know I'm I'm spending a lot more time I think reviewing my life and my memories and I I wonder sometimes whether these memories that I have are accurate but also sometimes I'll plug into these memories and they are really beautiful memories of like snip snapshots in time mm. you know and um, so for example I remember when um when our daughter was really, really little. And if you recall at Episcopal High School, there were these uh, cherry blossoms. And, you know, most people are familiar with the cherry blossoms in D.C. They're stunningly gorgeous. And, of course, you know, most people know that they're they're very temporary, and that's part of their beauty, that they don't last for very long. Anyway, so in my memory, this, the, there she is. She's three and there's another little boy who's about the same age, three, and the cherry blossoms are falling down on them, the petals, like snow. They literally look like snow. And they're scooping up the cherry blossoms' petals, and they're throwing them up in the air and like confetti, mm. going everywhere. And that memory is so tangible and beautiful. Now, I do believe I can remember it accurately because I actually went home and wrote a poem about it. I don't know where the poem is, but that poem locked that that image oh. in my in, in my memory. And doesn't poetry do that? I, I don't want to go in the poetry route again, right. but I can't help but say if you ever have a beautiful feeling, the way to save it forever is to write, is to write a poem about it. Yeah. It doesn't even need to be a good poem. It's right. just to write a poem about it. Well, I um I am struck by the Robin's comment because I was sort of thinking about this topic of what is beauty and up in my mind came a couple of natural experiences that I have had which which I'm not sure beauty would be the first word that would come to mind for them but they but it's somewhere in the realm of that 
because there's something about beauty is fleeting. We've established that, right? right. It changes. Um, and I was in the Caribbean, and it was one afternoon. I was on a little day jaunt out into the water to go snorkeling, an activity that I will not, I will not pretend to be my favorite thing to do. But there you are, and so you put the scuba mask on, and your lower lip protrudes to an just you know it just it's just uncomfortable <laughs> really uncomfortable for me and then you shove this thing in your mouth and you <laughs> and then you know anyway i got into the water and we had floated into a mile long um what do you call a, a group of fish sorry it's not coming school to school thank you not a herd herd of fish herd of fish <laughs> and the school <laughs> of fish and the fish were Probably two inches silver, and they were as thick as I was in them. I was one of the fish. Right. And so I felt like I was in a video game. So when I would move forward, the fish would part just in front of my face. I stayed in it for three hours. It was the most surreal, natural experience I have ever had. It was, if if beauty is a bullseye, I have to assume that I was Mm. in the dead center of it. Because it was otherworldly. And did you and I would imagine you recognized the beauty of it right at that moment. I, I, I knew not only that it was beautiful, but that it was fleeting and I, I couldn't leave. Despite right. any uncomforts, I didn't want it to end. It was this sort of it was this moment that I was just hanging on to, you know, knowing that mm-hmm. as soon as I got back in the boat it would be over. Right. And there'd be no way to, to revisit it. How long do you think it lasted? Oh, I mean, I just said I was in there for three hours, which was a complete and utter exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, how, but the oh, school the, of fish. The school I mean, of fish. Oh, they might still exist today. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> They've spawned correctly. I, by the time I got back in the boat, the, the school had moved right, on. Right, right. So I don't know. Was I there for an hour? Was I there for whatever it was? It was just, and of course, I went home and wrote about it, which is just because I didn't want to ever lose it. And the only other natural, not the only other, but one of the other natural experiences also, birds. We were out at a, at a farm uh, one morning eating breakfast, and we looked outside, and on big grassy sort of field were more birds than I can give you a number for. I have, I've, um, what's the guy who, God, I can't get my head, Alfred Hitchcock couldn't even imagine this oh. many birds. <laughs> All right, this is. This is the most incredible <laughs> amount of birds. Luckily, in in his movie, big. Birds, in his movie, Birds, he wasn't even close <laughs> to the number in this field. He wasn't. <laughs> so we ran outside to look at them, and when all of the birds started to lift, to rise, to get away from us, it was the loudest physical noise. Mm. Louder than a gun going off. Louder than, it was. It was the most incredible sound of these wings flapping and lifting as thousands and thousands and thousands of birds who I guess were in the middle of some kind of migration. Sure. Do you know what do you know what kind of birds they were? It would be so much cooler if I did. <laughs> I mean I could even probably make Were they a, big or little? No, they were sort of little black birds. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe s- s- I'm going to total Starlings? make up. S- s- sure. What did you just say? Starlings or swallows or <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Sw- sure. <laughs> All of you bird aficionados, maybe you know. It was yeah. the most incredible. It was beautiful. Right. It was beautiful. Well, I got one for you as you were as we were thinking about memories and and also just to be a little little lighthearted about it maybe. So 
I, uh, summer after my sophomore year in college, a friend of mine and I, we drove cross country to go live out west. And we ended up um, staying, living for the summer in Sun Valley, Idaho. And there were a bunch of young women from your class at Virginia who were there and we became good friends with them and it was it was a great time so one of those uh, folks uh, was a great friend of mine from high school Katie and she and I have just been great friends forever and she was out there and so she and I decided to go on this we were going to hike up to this lake uh, near Sun Valley and we would just hike up and go camp and neither one of us had ever been there. It was, I think it was called Moose Lake. And it was this lake that was below the peak of several mountains that were around. So we set out. And at, in those days, I knew a little bit about camping and everything. And we start hiking. And Katie is like a mountain goat. Like, she's in such good shape. She's just like just scampering up the up the trail and i i am like cannot keep up i mean i am so in such worse shape so as we're seeing these hikers come down you know people coming down from the lake presumably and i started to get really self-conscious about this because katie was so much farther ahead (laughs) and i'm like did you did you see a young woman up there and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, she's making a good good she's going pretty pretty fast." I'm like, "Oh yeah, well, she doesn't have the lucky bowling ball uh that I that I'm carrying in in the pack." <laughs> and then this um so this was just so this memory. I I don't know, this is beautiful, but it is a beautiful memory. So there a lot of people go up these trails on horseback. And so I see this uh, group coming down, and they're all on horses. And they're just trotting along. Hello, hello. And uh, and then all of a sudden, at the end, there's a donkey, and there's nobody on on the donkey. So I'm like, okay, well, he's probably a, you know carrying the pack or something. And then I look, and I'm like, no, there's, that's not, not the case. So then about 10 minutes later... This guy is is walking down. I mean, he is limping. I mean, like you can't believe. <laughs> like, hey, buddy, you should have had the lucky bowling ball with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but he he had gotten kicked off this thing and <gasps> yeah. and then had to walk down because the group didn't stop. I mean, the horses that they just kept on going. And I think he had I think he had a, a pistol on his on his hip. And oh, so when he got kicked off, it. I, he may have land- no, it didn't. It didn't go off, but I mean, I think he may have landed on it, which would be a pretty, pretty hard thing. Anyway, why did I tell this story? That when we got to the lake, when Katie and I got to the lake, it it was s- this natural beauty that I have never seen. And in my memory, part of it is not just the scenery, but just the fact that here I was with my friend, and we caught some trout for dinner and we cooked them over the open fire and we talked about whatever we talked about and then the next day we packed all up and walked back down and that was it so maybe it's it's 
there's this idea of beauty being fleeting, but there also feels like there's some connection to nature. And I wonder, I'm sure we could press on that in some ways, but I think about, you know, having spent time in Dallas, Texas, you know, it's you're no stranger to the idea that many women in Dallas, Texas will go get work done as they get older on their face. You know, their dermatologists mm. will suggest one procedure after another to try and retain some element of youth, which I guess is attributed to beauty. But I really find that the human eye picks up on these alterations of what is authentic. Right. And that the human eye actually is drawn to what is authentic. Yes. And I agree. I, I I think of nothing more beautiful than seeing an older, and I'll use a woman in this case, or a man, who is wrinkled and uh, their faces are changed from when they were young, certainly, but there's something just honest about them. Right. And they're, you know, the, the, the you'll know more about this, but the, the transcendentals, right? There are three there's truth, beauty, and goodness. Mm hmm. And those three things run alongside one another, right, if you're studying such things. Mm -hmm. But I wonder when beauty gets paired with other words other than truth and goodness, how that changes it. Does that make sense? Oh. So the fact when you, when you, when you pair beauty with truth and goodness, yeah. it's, uh, you know, you're, Amazing things are going to come out when you when you put them all together. But if you put beauty in the same car, with, right, with other characteristics, you know, beauty with dishonesty and with with, you know, what's the opposite of goodness? Badness. You know, what does that do to beauty? How does that alter it? How does it make it a, a weapon? Even mm -hmm. that 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 has to be part of it. That when you when you're trying to isolate beauty from something that is just not part of the I mean truth is truth is supposed to be universal. Right? Right. I mean that the one of the issues that we always run into is when people they disagree on what's true, but even more destructively, they disagree on the idea that you can even know whether something's true or not. Right. That's that relativism that's out there is a very, very dangerous concept because then, then whatever you define as truth and whatever I define as truth is correct. Right. And, and it could be completely contradictory. So anyway, but I think you're onto something when you say, when you pair beauty with truth and goodness, then it does seem to ground it in something that would avoid some of these other things that you're talking about, like getting the work done or something like that. I always just feel like if, in a weird way, beauty is a, in a very weird way, beauty is a curse if, you, if you're putting it on a human being mm -hmm. because it overshadows all other gifts in many ways, I mean, I'll take it. I mean, if you take a beautiful girl. So wait, when you say, are you saying physical beauty? Yeah, I'm saying right. physical beauty. Okay, yeah. physical okay. beauty, and I'll, I'll use it. A lot of times, physical beauty can actually be a hindrance to a person. I mean, if you're a if you're a beautiful girl, you can count on having a bevy of other girls who are jealous of you. 
right. you, you can count on that being the thing that gets led with as opposed to it was a very you know you kind of want for your children to be cute fun and busy you know like <laughs> cute fun and busy go through life beauty because it because we know it's fleeting is is kind of a tough thing to live up to if you're if you're a human who's been gifted with it interesting yeah I mean, I, I think about this a lot, having having girls yeah, right. and living in a world and how you can sort of whatever gifts you've been given that create beauty for you, how you can show up in a group of, of people and uh, have it be an equalizer instead of uh, something that, I don't know, I'm not saying this very well. Um, naturally, beauty creates jealousy. It just does. Let's look at Helen of Troy, right? You, or mm-hmm. It creates conflict. Right, right. It's it's something that's coveted. People want it. They want to have it for themselves. They want it in their museum. They want it on their wall. They want it in their vase. They want it. Right. They're trying to get it and 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 hold it. We are all desperate to hold beauty. It's why we pick flowers Mm -hmm. and bring them into their house, right? As opposed to leaving them out. Yeah, and and also it's why, I mean, this point that you're making makes my brain go in a lot of different directions but how many times people pursue beauty and then accumulate things or build the bigger house or buy the fancier car or buy 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 whatever it is but they're they I think you're right and I never thought about it they're in pursuit of beauty but they don't know what it is. So, and and you know, we go back to the thing which you said this morning, which is, if you don't look for it, you're not going to find it. Right. But if you look for it, it's all around you. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. I, I was, again, in my just sort of quiet moments thinking about this. Of course, I go to cross country, and I think about a cross country race, and it is. Probably like all sports and people are it's gross. You're gross when you're really doing an athletic sport hard. You're, you're running the, the athletes coming through. It's three mile race. It's mile two. They've spit on themselves. Maybe they got <laughs> sick. They're sweaty. <laughs> Their hair looks nasty. It's like it's bad. It's not a pretty sight at all. The, the athletic uh, clothes you're given when you're a runner are not flattering. The cut of short is very upsetting if you're especially if you're a boy (laughs) really really short anyway it's nothing more beautiful than Mm -hmm. somebody because i think at that point everything that's fake about you has been stripped away you're too tired to carry on any charade or pretend that you have going on with your life or personality it is just you and your spirit moving Mm -hmm. if you've run the race correctly there is there's nothing left that is pretend. There is just what is actually there. And to me, I think that's just stunning. Well, I will, uh, we're getting close to the end of time here, but you just brought back a memory that I had locked away talking about cross country. And I was watching one of those cross country races at Episcopal. I was actually standing next to Wordy. And, um, my husband, you're yes, for our listeners, her husband. And so all the top runners come running through and, 
and we were right at the turn where they would come out of the woods, take a hard right turn, and then it's the final probably 200 yards to to the end. And we sat there and watched, and, you know, of course, the best runners are just, they're like... Floating in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just, you know, their their bodies, their brains, their young, everything is just in perfect harmony, you know, and they're fighting it out towards the end. And we just sat there and cheered on the, the people, the stragglers. And then, you know, the race is, like, people are pretty much ending and it's starting to conclude, and this young man comes, I'm going to get choked up thinking about it, comes running down, and he is in, he was from another school, but he had this very significant brace on his leg. I think he had, like, um, cerebral palsy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he is, he's digging in. And he finishes the race. Mm. And uh, Wordy and I are crying our eyes out watching this. <laughs> I mean, I'm crying about it right now, thinking about it. And, and it was so beautiful to watch this guy just give it it all. Ugh. So I'll say that... Um First of all, what a great compliment to a Super Bowl Sunday. I think yes. I, I think I can endure what comes at me tonight yeah. based on having had – this is sort of like eating a very healthy salad yeah. before going to the state fair. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we hope that you all will join us again next week. And thank you for being here. But, Mason, thank you. No, this was thank a, you. This was a great conversation. It was fantastic. If you enjoyed this episode – please subscribe and share with any of your friends you think might enjoy being a part of this conversation. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and stories. So visit us at www.igotoneforya.com or email us directly at igotoneforya.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>